Welcome back to another episode of the Occasional Reviewer Podcast with myself, Brad. And I'm Marina. Today, we are discussing a limited TV series called Station Eleven. Yes. And for all of these random networks on where to find it, in South Africa, you can watch it on Showmax, but it is a HBO Max series. Yeah, so if you've got a VPN hooked up and you're able to get that <laughs> HBO goodness, go for it. So ratings-wise on IMDb, it's a solid 7.6 out of 10. And on Rotten Tomatoes, you want to have a guess? I would have guessed 85% maybe. 98 that is why I loved it. Yeah, it's a solid <laughs> show. But then Google, 60% of people like the show. Rotten Tomatoes coming in with the near perfect score on this one. Yeah, yeah. 98%. That is Although proper. maybe only like a few people reviewed it because <laughs> I don't know how many people watched it. Yeah, it didn't get the attention that it probably should have. So I see the average on Rotten Tomatoes, this audience score was 74%. But the critic score was 98%. Oh, okay, cool. So the snobs really like this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Again, to all of our listeners, we are super qualified to have any opinions about the shows that we watch. And uh, Morena's snob score proves that. So a post-apocalyptic show is where it's at for me. I love that type of show. It's looking about the survival, what caused the apocalypse to happen. I love the threats that comes with it. So for me, this was definitely something I wanted to watch. Okay, so the synopsis of this story is that there is a very sudden virus that comes in and wipes out, I would guess, about 95% of humanity. Yeah, and it happens really quickly. I mean, people just start getting sick and they die. Yes, within like an hour. So there's a virus that comes in, knocks out majority of humanity. And this story runs over two, maybe three timelines. So people's lives before the virus happened, which is a tiny bit of flashbacks. Then there's the storyline of people that were affected by the virus mm. and how they navigated that moment of uncertainty of everyone getting sick, needing to stockpile food, needing to stay away from people that are infected. So that was the second storyline. Yeah. That took up about, I would say, 40, 50% of the story. And then lastly is the storyline right at the end, which is 20 years after the virus. How everyone found their humanity again and started living again after the virus, needing to make the best out of what is left at the moment. Yeah, and it was woven so well. For me, it felt like more of a time travel piece of work than a post-apocalyptic piece of work. And the moments that I loved were in the sound design that kind of bridged these two timelines from past and future and you see how people in the future are affected by the past or how they've changed from who they were in the past and how everything is kind of interlinked and how people look back on the past what i really enjoyed is the main female protagonist kind of looking back at a key moment in her past as the older character so mm -hmm. she's kind of witnessing this traumatic moment Kirsten is her name. Kirsten. So yes. Kirsten's witnessing this traumatic moment that she experienced as a child and she kind of communicates with herself. And that's kind of what we all do when we, you know, deal with traumas or the past. And I thought it was beautifully done. 
on the time travel front of it, I found this was a really... I sometimes get annoyed by time travel within series and movies because I want to see the story progress. Mm. This series did the time travel thing so well for me. Yeah, it flowed brilliantly. It was really, really well done. And the reason I think I enjoyed it so much is because they still finished a story per episode. So there wasn't these weird random cliffhangers that you don't understand what's happening. So they had a story... They did a few flashbacks and they completed a piece of the story while moving the main story further. Yeah, and I'd like to use an example of a show that didn't do this time travel well. And I think part of the reason is they recast characters. Where this show, they Uh, kind of make use of prosthetics. And the show I'm mentioning that did a hob job of it, in my humble opinion... Don't, don't, was, don't mess with the fandom. ...was Game of Thrones. Damn it. Um, <laughs> I warned you. <laughs> I know, I know. They're going to come after us. We've got, like, uh, hackers so and nerd boys from the Game previous of Thrones, show. you mean House, House of, of Dragons. Dragons. Yes, yes. Sorry, House of Dragons, the Game of Thrones spinoff. Yeah. P.S. George, please finish A Song of Ice and Fire. I have a theory that he has already finished them and he's he's going to release them all when he's dead because there's too much pressure on him. That's my hope, at least. Okay, so I would summarize that this story, at the core of it, follows two storylines. Yeah. Which is Kirsten and Jeeva, who are the main the main lady that you see on the pro, on the posters. Yes. Where she met Jeeva on the night of her show. And they were kind of stuck together because she couldn't find her parents. Yeah, and he's kind of doing the nice guy thing of, okay, you can't leave an unsupervised minor to walk home alone or get home alone yes. because the child minder is either dying or not doing her job. Or it's kind <laughs> of like a friend of a friend the whole time. So yeah. it wasn't with a stranger, but they couldn't get hold of the people they needed to. So how their story kind of grows. Mm. And she already was in shows previously. She's a child actor. The link then to the rest of the show makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, so flash forward 20 years. This show follows then this group of people that is a traveling symphony, right? Yeah, you get the symphony and troupe of actors, I, I suppose. And they go around from community to community to perform Shakespeare. And the big line of the show is, survival is insufficient. Another quote that that kind of came up in the show as well is, there's no before, only now. Yeah, and you get a few characters rebelling against that as well. Uh, there was no before. Yes. Like we've only got now, which is quite interesting. And then we also follow another story of a little boy that was stuck in an airport with his mom. And during the show, he becomes a prophet of this graphic novel called Station Eleven. Yeah. And he kind of builds up this following of people. Using the Undersea. This, yeah. <laughs> uh, like using this novel to survive and kind of using this as what is going to happen in life. Mm. And I, I didn't catch the whole how the story became this big of a... When he lights the beacon. Yes. Why do you think the story of a graphic novel of this astronaut became this cult classic thing in the world? So I think it resonates with a lot of people because there are a series of these graphic novels that have been gifted to various people from Miranda, who we see in the past, who's also got a great storyline. And 
she's written this novel because she experienced loss at a very young age and it was the loss of her entire family. So that's quite a traumatic experience and she kind of comes to terms with that loss and her grieving through this graphic novel and a big key component to that is a a line I remember damage and if you think and apply that to this post-apocalyptic world people definitely remember the damage of the flu that's wiped out humanity people remember the damage of losing loved ones people remember the damage of losing art culture literature they remember the damage of losing little conveniences like electricity and hot coffees etc etc and we are in this world where people are trying to recreate what society once was or at least strive towards the better aspects of our society that they're trying to recreate and that's why they go around kind of sharing Shakespeare to people but for me I think the undersea is easy to create uh, with a group of children because they're imaginative beings and I think everyone has a memory. So potentially that was his weird kind of like cult building thing. Mm. And maybe he's just wants to look after the kids. Cause I didn't get a sense. Actually, no, no. Cause like he sends him on suicide missions and stuff. Yes. So yeah, there's this weird manipulation, but he is the guy that is against the past And what's interesting about him as a child is he is one of the last people to have access to information on the internet, which Wikipedia articles, etc. So he's downloading a whole bunch of information that he uses in the future and he becomes this kind of like... Library... A flesh USB, a a walking USB stick for humanity. And I think he just got cynical and jaded because instead of looking towards the good that humanity did, and maybe this is me just projecting, he goes down the spiral of like everything humanity's done poorly. And he looks at Mm. holocausts and he looks at wars. And I think that's why his character got very kind of jaded and decided that there is no past. There's only this future where it will be good and, only kids get it because every adult is messed up and his traumatic experience or his trauma at the airport um, witnessing an innocent man who basically has the cure get shot in front of him. Well, let's circle back to that storyline. So a lot of people in this airport managed to survive getting infected and everyone just like sits in this lockdown airport Then after a few days, a few people leave and needing to find their families. But like majority of the people at the airport stay there. And while this has gone on, there's a plane that's landed and they're aware that people on that plane have the flu. So the people on the plane are instructed not to get off. And they just look daily at this plane of people there that's not getting off. And eventually after a few days, they assume that everyone's dead there. And this airport... A lot of characters then step up and take leadership and try and create this community so people can carry on living there at the airport and create a life there. Then I think about a month or a few weeks later, a very, very weak human stumbles out of this airplane. Yes. And this child sees the prophet get 
the guy that's going to become the prophet, <laughs> chosen sees, one, <laughs> sees this um, person coming out and brings guys to the airport. And in a moment of panic, everyone gets so overwhelmed about this person that was exposed to the sick coming into their space yeah that in this moment of panic they unfortunately kill this person it's not survival of the fittest it's survival of the quickest draw baby and then all the trust goes out the window and Mm. suddenly this prophet kid and his mom needs to be isolated for i think three months or something yes and i think during that time he also lost the hope in what humanity could be and that's where he reads Station Eleven, the graphic novel, and burns it into his mind. Yes. Because uh, he takes that along to his quarantine. Yeah. So overall, with the tone of this whole series, mm. how would you describe this to someone? I would describe it as a really good TV show that you should watch. <laughs> <laughs> because tonally, I would pitch this as like a drama or a psychological thriller. Uh, So the future, more psychological thriller, and even Kirsten going back into the past, there's a psychological aspect to that. It's like her dealing with traumas, and there's definitely like a psychological aspect to this whole thing that plays out, and it's the collective unconscious and... and A little bit of sadness. Oh, yeah, there's... But, ah... That to me is the ultimate feeling or tone of this whole piece or work. I'll call it a work of art. I'm going to call it a work of art. I, I second that. Uh, is hope. Yes. It's, it's hopeful and it's humanity overcoming our obstacles, even though we faced with such sadness and grief and horror and terror. It's the will to go on. It's the will to survive. And there's just this beauty woven through it all the way strong characters everywhere you look everyone's got a backstory everyone's actions are motivated 100 percent. nothing feels out of place nothing feels random i would tonally to answer your question it's like a melancholy hopeful Mm -hmm. tone throughout the series that i get yeah so for me this was also post-apocalyptic but it focuses on art it focuses on a bit of humor yeah and it focuses on hope this is the first show that for me post-apocalyptic world that doesn't focus on the destruction and all of it it focuses on the loss on the hope on the what they want to still achieve in their lives and also i found it very beautiful to watch oh yes beautiful there was Think about that scene where they're standing in the in the apartment and there's this plane coming to crash. Mm. Or think about when they leave the apartment in the ice and the whole place is iced over. It was just, everything was just so beautiful to watch. Yeah, uh, even episode one where we're in real time, um, we're in the past and we're watching a stage play. So all these characters are kind of linked and it starts to feel a little bit like Heroes did um, and that could start to become or feel a little bit cheesy for people. But anyways, yes. I'm like so I agree my ADD. With, so yeah, I agree with that um, a little bit. But even the shots in the theater of the stage play are interesting. And seeing where Jeeva's seated in relation to the stage and when he rushes up, which shows his character's motivation. And the irony is that uh, his story arc from that moment is completed. It's this beautiful like circle. And they're, they're these circles of completion in a lot of 
the characters' lives or dealing or working through trauma. So anyways, we were talking about pretty shots, beautiful stuff, uh, wide shots in landscapes where these wagons are on the move, beautiful, beautiful close-ups, incredible everything, actually. The lighting, the mood of each scene is impeccable. There's some stuff that plays out during nighttime, which looks beautiful. You also spoke about the sound design that you really enjoyed. Oh my gosh. The sound design for me was half of the time travel. So there are these J cuts or L cuts in the audio. So what's and that what for that, people that don't understand? So what that basically means is there's a scene of, let's say it's you and I talking, and you will hear the, the sound or the diegetic sound from that scene but they introduce the sound from a scene that we're going to cut to while we are still having our conversation and the viewer is still seeing that scene. So it's kind of like overlapping sounds. It's overlaying it until you cut to it and that works as a cut. And the reason they call it an L cut or a J cut is it sits underneath the audio track Hmm. or, or the visual track before you see it. And for me, the most prominent was the use of the lighter that he uses to um, the prophet as a child, the use of his lighter where he sets the plane on fire. You start hearing that click, like flip. It felt like two minutes before we cut to that scene. And there was like the satisfaction in knowing, okay, cool, that's what the sound is. And they wove it beautifully into the sound design. The music around it is beautiful. Uh, and for me, half of the time travel, if not all of it, was reinforced or made a hell of a lot stronger through the use of sound. Mm-hmm. I fanboyed hard on this. And I think a lot of people, it could become quite distracting, but rhythmically they used it in the edits as well to create tension in places. It was beautiful. Because I don't have understanding of editing, the world of editing. For me, the sound made me feel uncomfortable here and there for yeah. a little bit yeah. before it goes to that scene that is a risky risky type of scene that yeah. you should feel uncomfortable with. Yeah. So this also had like a few threats with the people, but it wasn't overwhelming to the story. For me, I liked every single character. Even the characters I didn't like, I liked. <laughs> <So> <laughs> That's That to me is like solid writing all around. Um, mm. And I saw it was based on a book. I haven't read the book. So yeah, so let's let's circle back to the COVID conversation. Yeah, cool. This was based on a book. Hmm. The first episodes were done being shot before COVID happened. No ways. Yeah. And then they were like, oh, we can't release this. Yeah. It's like 9-11 and like people removing twin tower shots from films. Wow. Yes. So if you watch this and you think this is referencing COVID or inspired by COVID stories... This was based on a book, a best-selling novel, and the first two episodes were completed before COVID hit. So the story was already in in progress, and I think they did so well with it. Our little neighbor dog is... (laughs) Is Yeah, thanks. So if you hear it, apologies. Yeah. One of the quotes that they had in the series, and to set the scene, is Jiva and Kirsten and their Jiva's brother, they're in this amazing apartment, lots of light. And this is now a few months, like a year after this virus broke out. They set up this play. It's a very loving scene of them trying to fill their time and create entertainment for themselves and um, a bit of hope. One of the quotes that the brother had, 
He said, this strange and awful time was the happiest of my life. And it reminded me so much of COVID. A lot of people obviously experienced loss, but for the people that didn't experience that direct loss, we were all in such an uncertain place and such a, we didn't know what's going on. We were also scared. Yeah. And yet, if we think back, there were so many good things that came out of it, smaller good things and hopeful yeah. things. For me, we got engaged. We spent more time together. But there's so much fear in it. And that is what this kind of summarizes the series for me. So even though there is a lot of fear and uncertainty, there's always that hope to hold on to. And that's what I enjoyed about this. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful show. So going back to how everyone's kind of connected in a weird way, that to me is where it started to feel like, okay, this is a little bit too on the nose for me. Yes. I would have been okay if they were all strangers. But the fact that, ooh, these two kids were supposed to meet or, ooh, this child is actually the son of the actor that died whose best friend is friends with the, the person reason- who wrote the graphic novel <laughs> so many coincidences so the reason i can forgive that is because they close the stories and because they don't make it too on the nose when the links happen again so you see the link you understand the story is linked but they don't go oh we were supposed to meet oh no we were supposed to meet they yeah. kind of m- let you make that assumption and yeah. move on from the story and also the fact that the story's closed off. There was not, no story of like, oh, if only they knew they were supposed to give the books to each other or something like that. Yeah, I, I, I get that. Um, if I have to go into my defensive mindset about that, I would potentially argue that another theme that they're exploring is the idea around fate and how you can either intervene or you can't intervene. And if things are fated to happen, they they meant to happen. So for me, it's a very kind of interesting way of looking at the world, especially with time travel, because to me, my favorite concept around time travel is the idea of agency or change in that you can affect change if you go back in time or forward in time, where I don't think that's the case. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, the idea of fate and things being written in the stars or, you know, the world's a stage. We're all players in it. Like, that's Shakespeare. And maybe if I were smarter and I'd studied more at school and listened to the teachers when they try to teach me Shakespeare, I would probably find a theme or an echo of his work in the show. Um, and for me, a big one was obviously Hamlet, like that's, that kind of like runs through. But um, just the idea of fate, I think, is a big inspiration or, or something that Shakespeare grappled with. If I was smarter, I'd be able to tell you where and why and how. And I really liked how they wove in Hamlet, at least, to the storyline going on with the prophet and his mother and um, the uncle who kind of takes the father role, et cetera, et cetera. That to me was very well done and it was kind of like a mirror. But yeah, this this kind of all started with us talking about how everyone's kind of connected in this weird way. So final rating? I loved it. I would give this a solid 8 out of 10. I would give it a 10 out of 10. <laughs> wow. Yes. 
I think the story was great. The characters was great. It was beautiful to watch. Pretty uh, to look at. Very uh, 10 out of 10 all the way. Brilliant. And yeah, I think that wraps it all up then. So if we can learn anything from this show is that even in the worst of times to look out for a little bit of hope and for what could lie forward. Yeah, maybe maybe let's end with that uh, quote you like so much again. This strange and awful time was the happiest of my life.